Let's go, Herman. Ready? Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you here for lesson number five in the study of Colossians. Again, thank you so much for being here. I know that as we submit ourselves regularly to the study of the Word of God, not only on a personal basis, but in a corporate basis such as this, the Holy Spirit is doing work. He's ministering. He's revealing. He's helping. He's guiding. He's correcting. He's building us up. He's strengthening us. All for that great day when we will stand before the Lord one day to receive the blessings of God, to receive standing and gifting and, and activity and responsibilities in heaven depending upon how we did here on earth. And I know that might shock some of us, but I think I need to get into some of that within the next week or two concerning one of the comments that Paul makes here. And so we'll be talking about that in the, in the next couple of weeks. This morning we're continuing, and we're getting into now the substance of Paul's prayer. The substance of Paul's prayer. Remember, he talks about having heard about the fruitfulness. Remember the faith, the love, and the hope. Remember those words? this fruitfulness that the church is bearing, Paul is excited. He is saying that this fruitfulness that the church is bearing, that the whole world is being impacted by this fruitfulness. Now, when Paul says the whole world, remember he is talking and using terminology that the ancient East, uh, East and near, um, Middle Eastern countries used. Obviously, the whole world was not hearing about the Colossian church. Those people who lived in India and China, they didn't know anything about the Colossian church. What Paul is saying here, and what the Bible means in many of these kinds of terminologies, not all of them, but many of them, and we have to look at the context to determine whether this is the case. The whole world of those who are being impacted and who are under the general administration of the gospel, that's the world. The world of the church and the world of those people who are in the vicinity of believers. So the world of the believers plus the world of their neighbors and the people who work where you work and all that. That's the world that Paul is talking about. And so to the ends of the earth. And remember when he uses that terminology, fruitfulness and the ends of the earth and so on. What does he have in mind? We talked about this. I think it was last week that we talked about this. He has in mind the mandates from Genesis. And we must keep those four mandates in mind regularly as we look at and study the Word of God from Genesis 3 on. Because the mandates that God gives to Adam are still in place for his people and are still to be um, fulfilled by his people so God hasn't said, well, we can put that aside. Those are still the mandates that God desires to be fulfilled in order for his people to image him. And remember, where are the mandates found in Genesis 1:28? Remember, there are four of them. I won't go through them again this morning, but there are four of them, and you will see that there. And so that's, again, Paul hears about fruitfulness. He hears about, talks about the whole world, and his mind goes back to that. And he gathers in all of that that God has begun in Genesis, and he brings it forward and begins to pray about that great work of God and that great purpose of God initiated in the creation, being forfeited in Adam's sin, 
and then being moved toward restoration all the years of the Old Testament until the birth of Jesus, who is the man who will recover all of God's intention fully, finally, and forever, and then will incorporate the church as God's people, the people, the children of Adam, if you would, so that God's intention in creating let us make man in our image after our likeness in Genesis 1.26, will finally be fulfilled, beginning now, partially now, being done, you know, in peace and a little bit here and there nowadays, but will be fulfilled when? In the return of Christ, which we see in Revelation 21 and 22. That's what Paul is speaking about, and that's how we need to view the Bible and view our lives. So verse 9. He hears about the church's fruitfulness, and here's what Paul prays. He prays that they may be filled, they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, I hope that by the end of the day today, you're going to remember that verse as one of the most significant prayer requests and one of the most foundational prayer requests that we can make both for ourselves and for other members of the body of Christ. Paul is going to pray for the church and he has in mind when he prays for this church already having seen some of the evidence he says look I'm praying that all of God's purpose all of God's purpose, fulfilled in Christ and initiated in you by the Holy Spirit when you were born again, that all of God's purpose will be fulfilled. So this is what I'm going to pray. I'm going to be praying that you are filled with a knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's how we begin. So first of all, to be filled with the knowledge of God's Word, what do you believe that presupposes basically? In order to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, what must we know? We must know that will. In order to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, we must know the will. And we don't come to know the will by some nilly-willy activity. We don't come to know the will of God by just hanging out with other people or living lives in a world that has collapsed in relation to God's purposes. Where is God's will found? What is the only source for the correct, truthful, accurate will of God? What is that? The Word of God. So what this presupposes is when Paul says that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will, he is obviously beginning his prayer by saying, in order for us to be fulfilling the purpose of God for our lives, for the reason we were saved, we must know his Word. We must know it in two basic areas. We must first know it intellectually. We just have to know. Who was the first king of Israel? Saul. 
Who was the second king of Israel? David. Who was the third king of Israel? Solomon. Be careful on this one. Who was the fourth king of Israel? Jeroboam, who was a, then who was Solomon's son who reigned over the southern kingdom? Rehoboam. You see, we have to know intellectually the stuff of the Bible. We have to know this. We have to know the content of the Word of God. Knowing that, then that content must be translated into a living and viable communication from God by His Spirit as to His will. His will is communicated in the Bible. And so the first thing we must do, we must set ourselves to the reading and the study of the Word of God on a regular and consistent basis. What does that look like? Well, I think it looks like minimally that at least four days a week, and hopefully more, but at least four, that every believer sits down somewhere, takes out his Bible or iPad or however it is that we get communicating the Word of God, and sits and starts reading through the books of the Bible. Just reading through the Bible. That's the first and most primary activity of knowing God's will. Now, if you're not doing that, you are weak and opening yourselves for incalculable damage and destruction and attack, effective attack from the enemy of your soul. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm not going to spend the whole day on this, and this is a temptation. And I'm going to try not to be too vipitudinous in here. But let me say this, friends in Christ. There is nothing. May I repeat that word? Andy, may I repeat that? There is what? Say it loud, brother. Nothing. nothing. Absolutely nothing that is more important and that should eclipse or in any way compete with our systematic, regular reading of the Word of God. Now, I've been told by some people I'm an extreme person. And I guarantee you that the enemy of your soul is more extreme than even one of my eyelids. There is an enemy out here who is extreme. And you say, oh, Peter gets excited or upset. Yes! Why? Just as you would if you would see your children being devoured by an issue of cancer or heart disease. You would be extreme. Amen? How many of us would go to the ends of the earth to save our little boy or girl or loved one or husband or wife in order to help them be free of a cancer? We do anything that's necessary. Church, we have got to wake up. We are in a battle of life and death. And we minimally, minimally have to begin on the basis of knowing this word. 
So if you're here today and you fully realize, wow, I'm not doing good in this. I would say doing well, but you're going to say doing good. I'm not doing well in this. It's an adverb, an adjective, but that's another day. You see, that's another day, Max. We'll get into that. I'm not doing good, as you would say. Then stop not doing good and start doing good. And decide, is God worth it? What in my life is more significant than knowing this God of mine through his word? What idolatry will I raise up above the knowledge of God to say this is more important than you and your word? Ooh, we wouldn't say that. You see, Francis, we would never say that, would we, brother? But we say it every day when we neglect the word and when we have time for every other diddly squat thing in all the world. You say, well, were you angry? Yes, I am angry. I'm angry because of the deception that, and the damage that Satan is allowed to do in our lives and in his church because of our lack of determination and self-control. Amen? So at least, if nothing else happens in this class today, I pray that this group of people, and we should have 500 people in here. I don't care. We, need, we should have 500 people in here. I don't care. We need to have 500. That you will begin a systematic and consistent and regular reading of your word. If you haven't done it, today, begin today. Let the Holy Spirit be telling you today. Today is the day. How can you be filled with the knowledge of his will? you got to know his word. Okay? <clears throat> and given that they are familiar with God's word, because these people were, they were eating it up. And remember, the word that they had was the Old Testament. Remember, the, the New Testament hadn't been finished yet. It was in the process of being written. And even a lot of it that was being written, most folks didn't have the letters anyway. It wasn't like today you go on the Internet and you Facebooks and all that kind of stuff. They just didn't have this. But they knew their word. And given that familiarity, they need the Spirit when they read the Word. Because it's not just enough to read the Word and know it intellectually. He did this, he went there, Jesus had this, he was that, he was that old, he went to Jerusalem. Okay, fine, that's what we need to know. We need to know those, that, piece, that, that information system, if you would, that body of information. But then we must also have a knowledge of the Word of God in order to be filled with the will of God. We must have that body of the will, the Holy Spirit, to apply all wisdom and knowledge, uh, understanding to us in order for that Word to become functional in our lives to the place that God's will actually is going to be succeeding in us. So Paul says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. How? In all spiritual, by the Spirit, spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is what he prays for the church. And Paul's prayer, when he says wisdom and understanding, he has in his mind so many Old Testament examples. And so I'll just share a couple of them with you. Where God accomplishes a purpose through individuals 
by first letting the individuals know what his will is by communicating through speaking and writing what his will is. And then once he communicates what his will is, then he fills these folks by the Spirit with the necessary wisdom and understanding so that what he wants will actually be accomplished in them by the Spirit as they are now being given and being filled with the wisdom and understanding to appropriate and to do what God's will is as spoken through his word. And so, remember this, in Exodus chapter 25. Remember, after giving the law, Moses, God gave no, Moses the knowledge of his will for the construction of the tabernacle. If you go to chapter 25 of Exodus, and you don't need to do that today, chapter 25, 6 and 7, the Lord brings Moses up to himself in the mountain. Remember, for 40 days on Mount Horeb in Sinai, the mountains of Sinai, specifically Mount Horeb, H-O-R-E-B. That's the mountain of God. And the Lord says, I want you to build a tabernacle, and I want you to uh, build it this way. Here, do this, 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 and this. And this tabernacle is going to be an earthly pattern of the heavenly reality. I'm going to give you an earthly pattern of the heavenly reality, a place of my dwelling. Remember, God was going to be dwelling with his people in the Garden of Eden through Adam's obedience and carrying out the mandate. Well, that for, was forfeited through sin. So God is now in, going to be dwelling in the tabernacle. We went through this in the Genesis class a while back. So God communicates his will through his word. He tells Moses, so Moses has a knowledge of God's word, and now he's told to go ahead and do this. And so in order to accomplish this, the Lord says in Exodus 31.1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Basileel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze. You see, Basileel is given the primary leadership of building the tabernacle. God has a will. I want to build my tabernacle. God speaks that will through his word, makes it known. So Bezalel has that knowledge. He knows the word of God. But there's no way that this man can accomplish the work and actually do the work within the strength and the abilities that he has as a man. And so in order for Bezalel to actually do what God wants him to do and for the tabernacle to actually be constructed, Bezalel has to be given and endued by the Spirit with understanding, with wisdom. You understand that? This, these become the spiritual tools and energizing and revelation that God gives to this man so that the purpose of God in building the tabernacle may be fulfilled. And this is what Paul has in mind. You have a purpose, church. And in order to fulfill that purpose, you have to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. How? You have to know his word. And then also, you not only have to be filled with the knowledge of God's word, will, you have to know his word, but you also have to function in all spiritual wisdom and knowledge so that the knowledge of the will of God that you have will actually be translated into a living reality of doing God's will. We have to have both. And so he prays that way. 
So Basileo is filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? For the purpose of constructing the tabernacle. You see that in Exodus 31. Also, remember, who was in the Old Testament the man of greatest wisdom? Solomon. <clears throat> remember that? We find that Solomon is given wisdom and understanding. Why? Copious wisdom and understanding, outpoured wisdom and understanding through uh, the Holy Spirit. He's already been told what to do. He already knows the will of God. He already has read the books. He already has sat under the teaching of his father and others. He already has a knowledge of the will of God. He knows what to do. God wants me to build a house. God wants me to do these things. So he already has the knowledge. But then he needs the next necessary if you would, tool to put that knowledge into a working activity. And so Paul, he needs wisdom and understanding for two things, for the building of God's temple and the governing of God's people. For the building of God's temple and the governing of God's people. In 2 Corinthians 1, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles 1.10, we see that. He is poured out or he is given this wisdom and this understanding. Listen to what 1 Kings 4.29 says concerning Solomon's need to build and to govern. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breath of mind <clears throat> like the sand of the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. What was the result? The result of the construction of the temple. Solomon began the construction of the temple in the fourth year of his reign, in the second month. When did he finish the construction of the temple? In the seventh year of his reign, in the eighth month. Wow, Peter, how did you know that? <laughs> because it's in 1 Kings. It's in 1 Kings. Seven years and six months to build the temple. And you have all this description of all the material, where you got it from, and, and all the neighboring Lebanon, remember, and Hiram and all that, and just all these workers and, and everything that he's done. And he builds this magnificent temple. And at the end of it, you remember, they dedicate the temple, and Solomon is kneeling in the temple and raising his hands to heaven, and he prays. And when this man prays, and after he's finished praying, what happens? The glory of God comes down, and he fills the temple so that the people and no one, the priests, no one could minister because the glory of God was so thick, if you would, so all-consuming, the glory of God. How did this happen? Solomon knew God's will because he knew God's word. And how did he achieve God's word and will? By being filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And what was the result of this? The glory of God filled the place. Is this what we want? Or do we want the glory of the world? We want the glory of politics. We want the glory of our jobs. We want the glory of whatever. What do we really want? We want what we really need, and that is the glory of God. 
This is what happened. And so when Paul is praying for the church, he not only knows in himself, but he also knows through the word. I'm going to pray the most basic prayer that I can for the church. I'm not going to pray that you be healthy, Donna. I'm not going to pray that you prosper. I'm not going to pray that, you know, you'll always have good times. I'm not going to pray that you be the best evangelist in the world. All of that comes underneath or is built upon this prayer is a result of this. Paul says, I've got to pray the most basic thing that you need. And of all the things that Paul could pray, think of what he could pray for this church. Think of what we could pray for Lakeview. Think of what you could pray for your families, for yourself. Of everything, what he does, he gathers together all that he knows about the will and work of God in the word and in his own personal life. He says, oh, I'm going to pray that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If that happens, everything, everything will flow according to the will of God and he will accomplish his purpose. Solomon built the temple because he was filled with the knowledge of God's will. You'll see when you read 1 Kings or Chronicles, you'll see, and, and you're, the Lord said this, and the Lord said this to David, and the Lord said this to me, and I'm going to do that. He knew the word of God. And in order to accomplish the will of God, he was given an outpouring of wisdom and understanding by the Spirit. The church now is the temple of the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 6.16. And we need, as God's people, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? In order to be built up, in order to be ministered to, in order to be governed for God's purpose through spiritual wisdom and knowledge. We need this. 1 Peter 2.5 says this. You yourselves, talking to the church, are living stones, living building. You're a living temple. The temple in Jerusalem that Solomon built was a stone building. But we are the living stones, the living temple of the Holy Spirit. You yourselves are living stones, and you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Remember, Adam was a priest to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. How is this to be accomplished? We must be filled with the knowledge of God's will by knowing His Word. And you know His Word by being in His Word. And we also then must also be receiving and being endued with the necessary spiritual wisdom and understanding for the fulfilling of God's will by his word. You see, unlike Adam who rejected God's wisdom and knowledge, he rejected it. Remember, he rejected it. 
He didn't say, oh, I don't want your knowledge. Get out of here, God. He just simply did something that God didn't want him to do. You see, we don't have nearly enough, if you would, appreciation for the erosive power of sin. We don't have it. I've said this many times in here, and I'll say it many more times. One sin by one man, one time, collapsed the universe. One sin by one man, one time, necessitated the very death of God's Son in order to restore. We need to have a much greater sobriety concerning sin a much greater carefulness, a much greater fear of what we do and how we do it and what our attitudes are and where we're going and what we're looking at. Because one sin, one time, by one person collapsed everything, how much more can Satan do in our lives now that we're born with a nature of sin and with fallen bodies? Please, church, let's have a better attitude about sin and its potential. Not this cavalier thing, well, it's going to be okay, I don't know, whatever, you know. Let's be afraid, deadly afraid of sin. Let's be that way, amen? You see, what, unlike Adam who rejected God's wisdom and knowledge, Paul prays that all the members of the church, unlike just a few, Bezalel and Solomon and some, in those days, just selected few were filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and understanding. Just a selected few. But today you see all the members of the body of Christ have this opportunity. Not just one or two or maybe a preacher or somebody like that. But every one of us. From the earliest birth, the brand new baby in Christ, to the one who's been saved for the longest. All of us are equally have access to God. To His will, His word wisdom and knowledge aren't you glad of that and so Paul prays that all the members of the church we are the eschatological progeny what does that mean eschatological the last days the fulfillment the coming to the end children of the second Adam we will be filled he prays that we will be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to fulfill what Adam failed to fulfill you see the Lord promised to fill fulfill his purpose through another man remember that in Genesis 3.15, I'm sending somebody else. There's going to be enmity between this man and Satan. And Satan is going to bruise him on the heel. But this man, this seed of the woman, is going to crush Satan's head. Hallelujah. He's going to crush his head. Thank God for that. God's going to send another man. He's going to fulfill, fulfill his purpose through this man. This man who will himself be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Who is this man? Listen to what Isaiah 11, 1 through, the uh, first couple of verses of Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Who's Jesse? Jesse who? Who's Jesse? David's father. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Remember stumps? You know how branches come up? Right? And the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Yahweh, shall rest upon him. 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Hear Paul in this? Do you hear him? The spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge under the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see, by the natural man, or in decide, decide disputes for what his ears hear. But everything he does will be within the context of having been filled with all spiritual wisdom and knowledge. You see, this is the only man who will succeed where Adam failed. So Paul prays that the church will be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to be conformed to the image of God's man of wisdom and understanding. Remember in Romans 8, 29, we've been predestined to be what? Conformed to the image. Remember image, Genesis 1, 26, I make man what? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Romans 8, 29, we have been predestined, decided beforehand, before we were even born, that we would be God's people for one purpose, to be birthed into the kingdom so that we can become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, God's Son, so that as that happens, we are fulfilling what God has intended for man in Genesis 1.26. And the only way that can happen is that first we must be born again and we must now be be residential in the family of God by the children of God and now the activity or the process of us being conformed or growing into the image and growing as God's image bearers is that we have to know the will of God through the word of God and we have to know that will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding don't you see do you understand what Paul is doing here we have to see it this way we have to gather up everything of the word of God and pour it into this verse Now let's notice Paul's terminology. He says this, that they may be filled. Do you see where I am in Colossians 1? What verse are we? 9, remember? With this Colossians 1, 9. Don't forget the verse. What does he say? That you may be filled. You may be filled. Paul is not asking for them to get something new. He's talking to believers. But to be filled with that which they already have by the Spirit. He's not asking for, man, I hope you get something new. He says, I'm asking that you be filled with that which you've already received. Are you born again? Yes or no? Do you have the Spirit of God? Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Remember Romans 8. Romans 5, 5, I mean, we have the Spirit of God if we're saved. And so Paul says, you have it. But I'm asking God that you be what? Filled with it. Filled with it. Remember the command of Jesus in Acts 1, 8? He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You shall fill the earth with my presence. It's a restatement of Genesis 1, and 28. My witnesses, you shall be conformed to me who is the image of God himself as a man. We'll see that a little later on as we move through. And as you're being conformed to me, you're filling the earth through evangelism and sharing the gospel and people being saved. 
until one day the new heaven and the new earth will be filled with God and his people forever. And heaven and earth will become one place, which is what God had intended in Genesis. You see, all of God's people have been given everything necessary to fulfill God's purpose. You remember this verse? 2 Peter 1, 3. By his divine power, he has granted everything necessary for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Remember knowledge? That you may be filled with the knowledge through the knowledge of him who called us into his glory and excellence. See, so we're not praying, or Paul isn't praying for you to get something that ain't nobody else has. We all have this residential in us by the Spirit. What Paul is asking is that we then begin to consistently persistently seek and ask for this to be done. I have one prayer when I teach, preach, or see people in counsel. I only have one prayer. I don't ever pray that I'll understand what's wrong with Burtis because that's not going to happen on this side of the earth. I don't ever un try to understand and figure out what's going on in Mary's life. That ain't going to happen, is it? It's just not going to happen. And, and I want to be kind about this, and I really don't care. No, no, it's not for me to worry about and know. See, Kenneth, if you come into my office with whatever, I don't care what it is. I have one prayer. I have one prayer when I teach, one prayer when I teach. Uh, what is the other thing? Preach and counsel. Those three things, I think. I literally only have one prayer. Father, give me wisdom and understanding and discernment for your people. That's all I have, Butch. I don't have anything else going for me. And he gives me that. Why? Because I know something of the Word of God and His will. I know something of it. Not enough, not nearly enough, but I know a little bit. And He gives it to me. Now, I'm going to take a chance here, and please do not take this wrong. Please make sure you're doing this to approbate and to testimony God in this and not Peter Davidson. If you approbate and testimony Peter Davidson, you make a big mistake. How many of you have I ever met with or in any context have ever been ministered to by anything that God has done through me? Any of you? Why? Because I'm so wonderful and so great? Because I know so much, Tammy? No. It's the result of knowing the will of God by the word of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What do you want from a pastor other than that? You see, I don't know all the stuff about all the sports. I don't understand half the things that are happening in this world. I don't know about post-modernity and pot and modern this and that, and I'm not knocking any of it. Gina and I are going to watch LSU whip Florida today at 3.30 in baseball. I like sports. I like a lot of this. But none of this is relevant 
to what you need. What you need and what we need is to be permeated and filled with God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what we need. You don't need a preacher or a covenant group leader or a friend who's just read the last magazine article and then that's what they know and that's where they've been spending their time and now you need help and you go to that person. You don't need natural wisdom. We need something from on high from the very presence and voice of God himself. Can you say amen? I need it regularly. My wife would tell you I constantly need the work of the Holy Spirit. I will follow John flat on my face one second if the Holy Spirit will withdraw from me. One second. That's all it would take for me to fall down. One second. There's no inertia in me. This is what I need. This is what you need. You see, Paul is following the example and command of Jesus and asking that they be filled with God's power to fulfill the reason that they've been given all everything necessary for life and godliness. Acts 1.8 is Jesus. I'm now the second Adam. I have fulfilled the purpose of God. And now you're going to be my children. And as God had intended this for the first Adam and his family to fill the earth, now you, the church, you're going to do it. And you need to be filled with my will, the knowledge of my will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to do this. Regularly pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding regularly, five times a day, 20 times a day, regularly pray for this for yourself and for others in the church. Essentially, Paul is asking that they come under the administration and control of God's wisdom and understanding. Being filled with means being controlled by. You know, he's filled with alcohol. What does that mean? He's controlled by alcohol. It means coming under the administration and the control of God's wisdom and understanding, cooperating with it, walking in it, seeing its effect. It is instructive, as I said. Paul could ask a whole lot of stuff, but this is what he asked for. See, after we're saved, what is our greatest need? After we're saved, our greatest need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And hopefully, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will have spiritual gifts. But the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit is not primarily for the gifts, but for receiving the spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then the gifts and the ministry are able to be functioning for the purpose of building and governing God's body, the church, the body of Christ. This is what Paul is praying for. <clears throat> so let me close this way. Let me encourage you to make Colossians 1.9 a constant petition in your life. Next Sunday, Gene and I won't be here. I would pray that you would gather for prayer. We're praying for another. There's so much to be praying about. We'll be back, God willing, the next week. And we're going to be talking about wisdom and understanding in relation to our walk. And I do want to begin to talk about this thing about pleasing God the two aspects about pleasing God, because I think and concern that there is some misunderstanding here. And hopefully we can make some of that clear. Thank you for coming.